Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. All right, guys. Welcome back to another listener success story episode with the Southern Outdoorsman. Again, this is Jacob Myers. I actually have Andrew back on the mic for yeah. once. He finally joins us after a couple weeks. A um, little hiatus. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, on, on this week's episode, everybody, uh, we've got a really good one for you. Uh, this is uh, Mr. Julian Ridings uh, from North Carolina, who we've got on the line. He just killed a really big deer back in October uh, on some public land in North Carolina uh, and had success with the podcast. So we're going to kind of break it down with him. But Julian, how are you doing, man? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Appreciate you guys having me on. <clears throat> awesome, dude. Well, we're appreciate ex- you coming on. Yeah, man. We're excited. We're excited Anytime. to have the conversation with you. Um, and, and Julian, 
for anyone that doesn't really um, know about this deer, first of all, you killed a freaking slammer, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you killed a freaking, this a public land slammer from North Carolina. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just an awesome thing. So anyone that's listening to this episode right now, uh, hopefully by this time, the time you're listening to it, we've dropped the Facebook and Instagram posts. So you can actually go and see this deer uh, that Julian killed. But uh, Julian, to kind of kick us off, one thing I want to ask you, how long have you been a listener of the show? Uh, I would say over a year, you know, eight months, near a year, somewhere around in there. Um, You know, that's when I first started listening. It was just like all day, every day. You know, I listened to everything I could get because, you know, um, you just can't get anything or too much information in several different ways from several different people. You know, it's just like teaching math. You know, some kids might get something different way from a different teacher. Um, You know, I just, I'm, I'm open ears to any kind of, Anything related hunting, it doesn't matter if, you know, if you're a seasoned vet or a first-day hunter. You know, I'm going to listen to you because, you know, if, if you know more than me about what I, we're talking about, then I'm going to definitely listen. Of course. Um, well, uh, Julian, to kind of kick us off, one thing I want to ask you, uh, just right off the bat, how long have you been hunting public land in North Carolina? I haven't really, like, dove into it until, like, this year, but like, I've been hunting up there since, you know, we, we go three to probably – you know, six, seven times a year with my family. Um, I've been hunting a parish with my grandfather. He took me when I was six years old. Um, you know, granted, we probably didn't make it too far up in there to like the real spot, but uh, it was right off the road, I'm sure. But he took me up there and, you know, introduced me to that stuff at a very young age. And uh, because that's all he had, you know, he wasn't a lease guy. He wasn't uh, much private land hunting. You know, this back when, you know, when they were hunting up there, when it first started, you know, if you seen a doe, you everybody was asking where you hunted at. And, um, you know, they had a lot of success back in the early, you know, 70s and 80s up there on that mountain. And, um, but it's, it's, I would say this year I've put more time in, obviously, than the last four or five years for sure. Excellent. Just because the, the saddle and, you know, just really stepping out of my comfort zone of going up there by myself. Yeah, excellent. Well, let me ask, you know, what was just kind of getting more into it this year than past years? What was some of the biggest hurdles you were kind of, um, you know, looking to overcome? I mean, especially when you're trying to put more time into hunting public land, was there anything that you're really like, man, I need to focus on this or I really need to learn how to do this uh, to hopefully maybe have some success? Definitely reading a map. Um, You know, I use HuntWise. You know, I don't know. There's a lot of different mapping out there, but I use HuntWise and have the, the offline maps you can download and stuff like that. So I downloaded pretty much every bit of, the game lands where i'm hunting at so i would have a little more uh, let you know as long as my phone was you know charged then i was fine to go in there because i had service you know to look and know where i was at and i wasn't going to get lost um because my uncle's always preached to us you know you get to walking too many ridges you get lost you know you keep crossing ridges and not walking you know certain ones but you know i just i just really wasn't comfortable going up there by myself because i was just scared of getting lost to be honest I can listen. I can understand that, dude. I'm not gonna lie. I've been out there in, uh, you know, that kind of western part of North Carolina, and man, it's some rugged terrain. I can see how you get lost fairly easily out there, especially with the lack of service. Uh, but Julian, one thing I want to kind of kick us off with is, you know, you've been a listener for just over a year or so now. Let me ask, what caused you to start listening to the podcast, and what were some of the episodes that really kind of hit home with you over this last year? Um what i started listening to you guys was word of mouth and i, I think i seen you guys on facebook somebody had shared a, a photo of a, you know maybe it might have been a success story it might have just been an episode 
but I just dove into the podcast stuff. You know, obviously the hunting public's pretty big, so all that hunting, all the hunting community is getting a lot more focus and a lot more attention than they would, you know, would have years past. Um, I think those episodes were 170, 178 with uh, Nathan and then uh don dan you said cicero correct is that how you pronounce his name so nathan killen and don cicero yeah Um, those two guys yeah and nathan he's just you know he just he talked they both kind of talked about the same kind of i think they kind of hunt the same terrain as we hunt here because our you know the public land i'm hunting it's, it's pretty mountainous you know it's not very i mean some points are very high you know but uh it's really thick. I hear, I hear you guys talking about, you know, I heard in an episode that some people's thick to us is, you know, probably very thick to other people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we can have a semi-thick area, and then other people look at it and like, wow, that's really thick. Can't hunt there. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just listen to, to uh, Dan, you know, he he's the guy that he'll jump trails on you. You know, I, I remember him saying that he, he can jump, he would jump, you know, if he could get three foot on each side of the trail you know, the deer probably wasn't going to smell them. And, um, and they really keyed in on secondary trails, you know, maybe not necessarily the doe trails is what I would call them, but, you know, those trails maybe just a little downwind or a little bit up, uh, up, you know, around the ridge because that's what kind of what I keyed in on was ridge points going up here and scouting. Um, I started hunting this piece in turkey season, and it was probably the only one that wasn't getting hounded with hunters. And I just went in there one day and I found a lot of old deer sign. And I was like, you know, I put it in my map or whatever. And I, uh, I saved it. And me and a buddy of mine from home went up there one day. We threw some cameras up and we found a feed tree. And lo and behold, we had like seven bucks on camera, you know, or more. You know, we just know seven different bucks on camera, you know, and it, it was crazy. Just, where you think they would be at because it really was not a good spot that i would have thought a deer would be hanging out at um you know i'll probably credit that to all those episodes i listened to is you know hunt stuff a little differently you know not just necessarily hunt on a trail or hunt a rub you know follow those rubs into bedding or you know look for beds you know i've never been introduced to bed hunting and then uh, one of my friends uh, i've gotten pretty close to this past couple years uh, his name's Zach Pruitt. He he hunts a lot of public land, and they do a lot of bed hunting. You know, he's kind of helped me out with that too, because um, that's kind of a that's kind of a hard subject. You know, if you know if you've never done it before. So, well, I got a couple questions. So, a couple things that jumped out at me from that was uh, one, and I feel like in this more mountainous, you know, big woods type settings, uh, a lot of guys say that it's really hard to find like that hot feed tree. Um, and, and a lot of guys say that you just can't find that kind of feed tree in that kind of environment. Uh, but you said you just had a lot of luck on something like that. So what, I mean, what was that spot? Like you said, it was kind of a weird spot. Can you, can you describe the, the spot, but then also describe that feed tree and what kind of tipped you off to that thing? Okay. All right. So we had, well, I picked a spot on the map. Um, it was the point of a ridge and it was a saddle before it got back, you know, this is like a kind of a freshly, you know, I would say four to five year cut on one side. And then the other side of it, you know, the transition area is real mature hardwood, just like any part else of the, the whole, you know, game lands up there. Um, so we got up there to this saddle and we're like, let's just walk up this ridge a little bit. You know, I figured we might would find a couple rubs and maybe a bed on it. But we walked up there and it looked like the ground was just tore up and it was a persimmon tree. And there was probably, I think we counted seven or eight maybe nine beds within a 20 yard circle of that tree 
so you know obviously i was just like well let's just put a camera here just to see if what's using it you know we went back the next week and we had a ton of pictures of not only just deer i mean you know we had bears we had coats we had bobcats you know we had everything using that one little point and what made it so weird to me was it was because not necessarily it was just really close to a bluff like it was a real steep drop off like 40 yards till you know there wasn't much room there for the deer to move so they had kind of had to stay in that one little area and you know i don't know if that was a wind based the beds were wind based or if that was just kind of their home beds there wasn't a lot of sign around the beds there was just a lot of hair in them you know like you know i've heard a lot of guys say if you know the bucks are gonna they're gonna rub right around their bedding area you know or their bed you should say and and there was a couple but not nothing to really jump out at you but man those you know there was just a lot of droppings you know scat whatever you call it uh and just there was no persimmons on the ground like you, they'd drop and they'd be eating them and uh, our camera showed us that and i just went up there and you know was kind of going off of that little bit of sign and we kept pushing further and further up, further and further up. And we kept putting, we put a couple more cameras up. You know, we're getting bucks on both of them. And that led me up to, this was the second time I'd went up there and scouted. We found a huge bed to where it looked like almost two deer could lay in it. Maybe three deer could lay in it. It was a huge spot. And there was a nice, you know, probably I would say a three inch, four inch diameter tree that the deer had rubbed so much he broke it and made a horizontal rub on it. And that goes, you know, Ted Miller talking about those horizontal rubs. You know, he makes them or whatever from the hunting public. And I don't know if the deer made that or, you know, or he was using it as like that, but the deer was using that spot a lot. So then it kind of went to how, how was that deer using that point or how was he bedding on that ridge or, you know, what wind could he use to, you know, it was just a lot of things are going through my mind and I really didn't know what to do. So we just pushed it back a little further. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, like I, was, I said earlier, uh, I put my cousin at the spot where we had all the deer on camera. And then we were getting daylight pictures of these deer, too, all the way up to October till we hunt, till I killed that buck. I mean, consistently, every morning, every evening over there. Um, so the situation when I killed this buck, uh, me and a buddy of mine pushed back about another five or 600 yards past that camera. And we had a south southeast wind. So I went down the west side of the mountain, you know, where the sun was hitting the west side. The, it was a west-facing mountain um, in the evening. And he went down the south, the uh, east side. So what I think happened was, and, you know, like I, there's, I'm going to jump back just a little bit. There's a couple draws that, that, that were not cut in the select cutting I was telling you guys about. So I think the deer may have used one of those draws to access to where we were at. But also, he was in a perfect spot to smell anybody, you know, around the, the backside of that ridge where my buddy was. And, you know, lo and behold, maybe him smelling my buddy scooting him around that ridge to me. And uh, we were just kind of set up perfect, to be honest. I want to – yeah, Julian, I want to break that down a little bit more, talking about kind of the setup, but really what kind of got you into this spot. And, you know, when it kind of came to, like, some of those episodes on the show, what were some of the biggest takeaways that kind of made you, like, go out and say, I need to try this, I want to try to implement this, and you kind of maybe opened your eyes to what you were seeing out there that kind of put you in the right spot? Uh, let's see here. 
you know, I would say, I can't remember. I think it was on Don's, Don's episode. You know, he always, they talk about, you know, you got hunters want to go and they see this nice open saddle. Like, so I killed this deer. Well, we broke off was really thick and I got down. And I seen a little, you know, a little bit of where the timber kind of, you know, slacked up a little bit. And it was just a little bit more thin. It wasn't actually like open hardwoods to where you could see, you know, 60, 80, 100 yards on the ground or anything. But it was just thin enough to where when you got up, you could see, you know, 60, 70, 80 yards. And I don't, you know, I think like I said, Don said this, hunters want to hunt the sign that looks so good to them. You know, you walk in there and you see a bunch of rubs and some open hardwoods. You know, that that was, I would say, one of the things if he said don't hunt that because, you know, most of the time a deer is going to do that at night. Um, you know, where it's all pretty and open, where, you know, it just looks good to hunt. It looks appealing to the eye. But, you know, in saying that, I pushed back just a little further and got on the, the next saddle down to where it was a little thicker again. And I hunt, I was downwind of a trail that I thought the deer might use. But that deer, again, he used a trail below that, below that one, so he was downwind of me. But necessarily, my thermals weren't pulling down yet, and the wind was perfect. So he could not smell me. You know, I I just think it was a fate thing. Um, you know, maybe some call it luck, but I just happened to be in the right place at the right time on that deer. And, you know, those episodes are just me just listening to just, a little, just little things like that, you know, helped me on that deer a lot. Yeah, and it sounds like you're applying, you know, like what a lot of guys – uh, you know, that if you listen to the show, a lot of guys that we have on talk about, you know, hunting thick cover, you know, thick cover is so critical for, you know, a big buck to feel comfortable moving in and just kind of really living in that area and how a lot of that sign in that open hardwoods, you know, can be a lot of like nighttime sign that a lot of guys, myself included, can get tied up on and, you know, put a lot of time into just cause there's a, you know, a bunch of big rubs, scrapes, all that kind of stuff in the more open timber. Um, and it seems like you were able to, you know, have the eye, you know, kind of going out there, putting some boots on the ground, scouting, listen to what some of these guys that are very knowledgeable talk about and try to find the kind of habitat break edge in that thick cover where it goes from, you know, pretty, it sounds like pretty freaking thick stuff to kind of like slightly more open, but still thick. Whereas that buffer strip that those deer were kind of cruising through and you kind of follow that around to that saddle and then kind of set up on the trail that you thought that deer would kind of be swinging through, coming through and at, or uh, to and from that thick saddle. Is that correct? Mm-hmm, exactly yep and you know in saying that with the wind the way it was and my me and my buddy were probably two to three hundred yards apart his name's daniel he was probably we were probably two or three hundred yards apart and i think the deer was going to go up his way but he smelled him and he kind of come around that ridge and kind of almost looped him to see either he either, he either seen him or smelled him you know and it kind of pushed him around that ridge to where he could maybe get further downwind and really get, you know, he was curious, you know. So he, he maybe kind of pushed him around to try to see exactly what it was, maybe danger, whatever. But, you know, I'd been sitting in this saddle, too. I hadn't really said much about it. But I've been, we got in there about 2 o'clock that day, 2.30. So, you know, it, did, it wasn't getting daylight till about 7 then. And I was pretty tired. You know, I, I, my, you know, sitting in those saddles, it's pretty rough on you, you know, if you're not really in shape for it. But even if you are in shape, it's still pretty rough. Um uh, but I just happened to be sitting in that saddle. Like I didn't have my, I normally sit knees on the tree and I was sitting there 
with my left leg against the tree and I have my head kind of tilted back. You know, I almost kind of where, you know, want to get comfortable enough to fall asleep. And it just felt like somebody tapped me on my shoulder. But that deer seen me before I seen him. Um, you know, I film my hunts or I try. I should say I try to. And I didn't even have time to really get the camera on the deer because, I mean, he the deer is so smart. He knew, I don't know if he walked that past several times and he knew that tree I was in. But, you know, he, he didn't really, he never blew, he never boogered or anything. He just kind of knew something was up. He stomped about six times. And I just really don't understand how I got, you know, if it wasn't for that saddle, I don't know if I could have got a shot off on the deer because I would have been facing the other way in a conventional tree stand. Um, I would have been facing up the ridge instead of, you know, parallel to it. The uh, well, the trail that this deer was on, uh, was he – like a, a, on the ridge, is he on the top third? Is he kind of lower down towards the bottom? Like, what what is this trail like that the deer is actually using? I would say he was on the bottom, the bottom side. And the trail that I was hunting, which I try not to get, you know, I've, these episodes have always taught the buck will always take the, the, the road less traveled. Which, you know, you know, in hindsight, you know, you see a really good, I mean, this trail that I found um, up there was just more... A, a better trail than I've ever seen in my life up there. And my uncle, you know, he showed, he, my our uncle, he's really put in time of showing us kind of what these deer do on the mountain because, you know, these deer, they move a lot up there. And from, we'll get into this a little later, but some, from me killing that deer, I've learned a lot more from other people of how far the deer was around and how much he had traveled. But um, <clears throat> I would say, like I said, he was on the bottom side and, I really don't know why. I mean, he was probably 50 yards from the the middle of the saddle, um, the wide open. He was just barely inside that, that buffer of thickness to where he could, you know, he could slip through there and not be seen clearly. And uh, I think, you know, the, the older they get, the, you know, the, the more smarter they get, they're going to hone in on those things to keep themselves safe as well. So let me ask this, Julian. Uh you know, after this experience, so we're going to go through actually like the shot and kind of what took place kind of, you know, after the fact, but what did this hunt kind of teach you about, you know, from like applying these different tactics and thought processes and everything else, what did this kind of whole experience teach you that you can apply kind of going, you know, into the future, you know, later on this season, but also maybe in years to come? Don't second guess myself. Go with what my gut says for one and two, um, you know just like i say it's basically just trusting yourself trusting what you've learned and putting it to you know you gotta you know, hunting is trial and error most of the time i would say 85 percent of the time you know i make a mistake every time i go hunting you know it might be a, a ground that i've been hunting forever it might be a virgin ground but in in doing this hunt and and, and really having some success it kind of puts me back to where i kind of can tell myself like hey yeah you done this but you know keep doing it we'll just keep trying to find new things i'm trying to learn something new every time i go hunting um and some people come I mean, in I'm, I'm just you know i'm i'm back crazy over hunting i love deer hunting more than about anything ever um but i learn something new every day and that's what i try to do every time i go hunting from just that's probably the biggest thing i took away from that um that hunt was just to trust myself now 
Julian, also you were talking about how, you know, Don Cicero's episode, which is episode uh, 178, you know, there are certain things that kind of you, you know, learn from him and kind of was impactful for you uh, from him. Now, talking about one, episode 171, which was with uh, Nathan Killian, you said that was one that was that really hit home for you. What did Nathan talk about that was something that really, you know, you know, uh, resided with you and something that you really could, you know, look at on a map maybe and kind of apply when you actually got out there? The topo changes really for him, I think, and then also it was just the, the the don't overthink things with him. He was he was one big thing about just you know hunt, us as hunters, we can really overthink situations to where the deer is just going to take you know he's going to be just do just as easy as you would most of the time, unless you get into those highly pressured areas to where a deer has you know to stay tight to cover or he has to stay in that you know. Let's just say, in my instance, mountain laurel. You know, I mean, that deer. He, you know, he. I guess he may have felt a little bit more comfortable, and he he came out of that stuff. And it, you know, it just kind of puts you in a perspective to where, if you if you overthink things, it can hurt you. But if you don't, if you just let it play out and kind of do, you know, what you think is right, you know, it might it might in the long run benefit you. Um, but he, they're just very smart hunters, and like you know, I've never really had somebody to kind of sit down and kind of show you or or teach you certain things but you know just kind of listen to them driving down the road it makes you think a lot you know so i kind of apply i mean obviously he's killed a lot a lot more bone than you know me or anybody that i know has so i'm going to listen to him and uh their tactics i mean everything he says basically is just i, I applied applied it to some point of my hunting this year and it's it's helped to be honest i mean with older mature dude you know mature deer i that was a goal I had this year was was to shoot mature deer because you know you always got those people that's gonna you know talk about you whether what whatever you shoot or what but I wanted to have a goal this year to shoot mature deer and I had to find something or somebody to show me how and those two guys you know they helped me more than anything I would say so Julian I want to talk about your mindset when it comes to when you go from hunting just deer to wanting to focus on mature bucks. What was the biggest thing you had to change mindset-wise that maybe you kind of learned and kind of have progressed through the last few months that's kind of helped you? I mean, what have you learned in that time span that was like, hey, this is what I needed to do to change from hunting deer to hunting these mature bucks and try to find them? Uh, that is a really good question. I would I would say more or less paying attention to the smaller things like tracks or, you know, exit routes or winds. Or, you know, just the bedding. Like I said, I'm new to the bedding game of trying to hunt deer going to and from a bed or hunting the deer in the bed. This my mindset really was to stay stay on track, you know, trust the process. That's that's the best way I can put that to you. And, you know, my coach in ba- uh, college, baseball coach in college, he always said it doesn't matter what we were doing, winning or losing, adversity is preparation for greatness. You know, as long as I was having some adversity, I knew there was going to be some light at the tunnel. And to stay to stay true to what I what I was you know what I was learning through the process of you know hunting a mature buck instead of just a two or three year old buck you know hundred inch deer, um, you know I, and I really I really tried to apply those things that they, everybody was saying and that, like I said trusting the process was really a, a mindset that I had to have and it was you know it was another mindset of just hold out for that deer don't shoot the smaller deer you know it doesn't matter how perfect a shot they give you. Or how many times they give you that perfect shot? You got to wait on the big one if you want to kill a big one. Yeah, that is by far a common uh, trait with a lot of the guys that we have on that continuously kill, 
that older age class, more mature, bigger bucks is, you know, being very selective because it's not many situations, especially in the Southeast where you go out there and you have multiple opportunities every season at big deer. You know, a lot of it's, uh, you know, you, you got to make it happen, you know, in the, with a situation that you're given, uh, no matter kind of what that is. And it definitely seems like you kind of learn that very quickly and just trying to make it happen um, and having the right mindset. And like you're saying, you know, adversity is something that's going to happen to overcome for greatness. Uh, and I think that was a really good line that you said that hopefully maybe people listening can kind of take away with if they're struggling now, look to the future. Look, how can you get better at what you're trying to do? Whether, you know, podcasts can only do so much for you. You know, you can listen to all the podcasts in the world and, you know, take down as much notes as possible. But if you don't go out there and implement it and have confidence in what you're trying to do, you're never going to, you know, succeed. You're not going to succeed very often. You know, of course, someone can get lucky. But when it comes to being like a lot of the guys on the show where they're successful year in and year out, it's because they figured out what works for them. They go out there, they implement it, and they stick to the game plan. And that's something that it seems like you – uh, Julian kind of transitioning to, you know, being a guy that you really want to focus on these mature deer as you're kind of in the infancy stage of it, but you're really learning very quickly, which is exciting kind of hear from, uh, because I think it hopefully will give more people confidence, uh, and maybe show some guys if they do want to transition to that. Cause listen, there's guys out there that, you know, myself included, dude, I have no, you know, we get three buck tags in Alabama and man, uh, you know, 110, 115 inch bucks walk by. I'll be extremely excited to shoot one for one of my tags. But when you get to some of states or just get into a time span of your life where maybe you do want to shoot you know you want to tag out on all mature bucks and you want to put the time in for that as well you know it's a different mindset for that kind of game and what it takes to hunt that animal because it's a totally different animal and pretty much everybody we've had on the show will absolutely say that so let me ask when it comes you we talked about the mindset of you going into you know hunting these mature bucks and kind of what it took to kind of have that mindset what was something in the short time span of this year so far that you've learned when trying to target mature bucks? How do they act differently from compared to what you've done in the past and what you've experienced in the past uh, to try to find those deer? I'll give you a, <clears throat> this is the best example I can give you is you go put a camera out in a spot that one or two year old buck, he's going to come right back to it. Probably not going to think nothing about it. The smell of not being there, you know, especially if it's an entry, you know, we're deep in this public and then half these deer probably don't even see humans ever, you know, if any, you know, some, I'm sure they do, but they're having interactions with the human, you know, smell or not necessarily just seeing the human, but, you know, that, that older buck, it might be a week before he comes back through there or, you know, it, it, it might be several weeks. Um, you know, for instance, you know, we, we put that, I put that camera up. We had younger deer on there, you know, the first night, but you know, it, it, it took about six, I think we checked the camera a week later and I think the big buck didn't come back till the sixth, fifth or sixth day. And he still, you know, we didn't really walk around too much in the area, but he smelled exactly where we were. You could see it in the camera. And, um, like I said, this deer wasn't, it's, it's a nice deer. The one that I was actually hunting was a very nice buck. Like, would be more than willing to put my tag on it anywhere I'm hunting at. Um, you know, but there again, he's probably a year younger than, or two years younger than the one that I shot. And the one that I shot, like I said, we didn't even have him on camera, but that's why, because he knew that somebody was in that, I think he knew somebody was in that general vicinity. And he changed his way around to get to that spot because he knew something was out of out of, off kilter maybe i should say mm-hmm. 
and and he kind of you know went about it a different way i guess you know can't teach an old dog new tricks but you know the old dog knows all the tricks as well so it's kind of one of those things to where he 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 adapted to the situation and he was doing what he could to stay safe in, in that you know in that sense i guess you could say earlier you mentioned uh that you learned a lot after you killed the deer about how far they move and stuff uh can you get into that a little bit that's pretty that sounds pretty interesting i killed the deer you know i, I didn't really think it was gonna you know on this on this you know i put it on a couple of different facebook forums and it blew up like i never thought i would get any kind of attention on you know i just i knew i killed a great deer and i was i was so happy with it you know i didn't really i wasn't looking for no attention or anything put it this way and i've got you know the biologists up there they do it they done a trail cam study last year and you know the trail cam study they did they think they had they had my deer on camera it was probably two miles maybe more you know through the woods from where they were getting this deer on camera and then i've had people tell me they've got it here they've got it there you know I, it's just like trying to connect the dots and i really don't understand how i got so lucky and, and how i got so fortunate to have a shot at that buck at the spot that i had it in because i mean honestly there was some sign around but it wasn't enough sign for you to come in there and be like be confident like there's a huge buck using it you know what i mean I just went in there as as a going in there hoping that my cousin would shoot a deer and I was going to be happy for him. Never in my life did I know that deer was going to skirt that ridge that I was on, you know, and come and come right by me, eighteen yards, you know, and twenty something thousand acres of public land up there. You know, he's eighteen yards from me, and you know, probably hadn't seen a person in years. And I want to talk a little bit more about the shot and kind of like what happened because I'm, I'm very interested in the aspect of how you think that deer reacted to the hunting pressure of your cousin on the other side of the ridge and how he kind of skirted. So let's get back to the actual hunt. You're talking about how, you know, you're kind of like almost dozing off in the spot and you had a sense that there was a deer there. You kind of maybe heard him stomping, whatever. Talk a little bit more about kind of his body language when he kind of came around, like the cover he was sticking to, what he was doing, and then how did you execute a shot opportunity at that deer? Okay. So, like I said, we had a, I think it was a southeast wind. So that would have been putting the wind. I was, I'm, I'm sitting straight west. I'm looking, not, not directly into the sun. You know, if I'm in my saddle, I'm staying behind the tree. You know, I can keep the shadows off of them or on me, you know, per se. So I'm getting the the winds blowing right over my left shoulder, right by my my left cheek, straight down the ridge, and this deer comes in about my he come in about my five four or five o'clock on my right side, like I said. But I was facing him when he came in. But if I would have been standing up, you know, in the normal saddle position, he would have came in about my four or five o'clock. And I don't know if you guys watch the hunting public much on YouTube. But Aaron killed a buck. They climbed down out of their stand and they jumped the ridge because the wind was correct. You know, the deer ended up coming. It was better on one side of the ridge than the other side. And with my buddy being up on the southeast, the I guess it would be, he was on the opposite side of the ridge. And that with that wind blowing, it was kind of going right parallel with the with the ridge down around to where I was. So what I think happened is the deer come out of his his bedding area or his cover wherever he was making his rounds that day smelled him you know 100 200 yards down the ridge um you know like i said he was 100 200 yards from my buddy you know he caught his wind and kept coming around the ridge to where i was 
and I was able to, you know, get the shot off. You know, the deer come in and it totally had me off. You know, I did not think a deer was going to come where he came from. Uh, but Julie, like I said, it is. It was like fate. Yeah, Julie, I want to I just jump in real quick. What time uh, did that deer slip around that ridge? It was 6.52, so about, I think that's when I called my cousin. Uh, I think that, so that was probably about 20 to 30 minutes before dark. Okay. I mean, it, it was pretty, you know, I, you see a deer that up that time. I mean, you know, I don't remember what the moon was. I know some guys talk about the moon and such, but like I said, it was just right place, right time, you know, learning the sign and stuff. But when the deer came out, you know, he was looking dead at me. When I seen him, he was looking at me. I, and also I'll put this out there. I did not know the deer was as big as he was. Um, I told my cousin it was a good deer when he called me cause we had service. And I said, I, you know, we got down to the deer when I found it. Now it's a different story. But, uh, the deer seen me. He was stomping really, well, you know, a whole lot. And you know, I'll put you. I, I had a muzzleloader, and you know, I'm, I've got it hanging on the tree on my uh, on my on my hook or whatever. And the gun is behind to my left, and, and my my left arm is in between me and the tree. So for me to grab it, you know, I have to move my arm back and forth just a little at a time. Every time he would look away, I'd move my arm. Every time he looked, and he, like I said, he probably stood in front of me for a good 30 to 40 seconds, stomping and turning his head, trying to, you know how they do. They want to head bob you and move their head around. They want to look at the ground and kind of look back up at you real quick to see if you moved any. And he, he had turned around like he was just about to bolt out of there, and he turned his head one more time. And I got my hand back there, grabbed my gun. I swung it all the way around my head, shouldered it, pulled, um, cocked the hammer, got on him and shot him. You know, it, it, that was all within a probably three-second span of that. I mean, I don't know how I did it so quick. I don't know how I got it on him. But, you know, I got it on him and seen the crease and pulled the trigger, and there he, and he's, it was history. But uh, it was a perfect heart. I'm, I just I got all the – you know, I got everything. He didn't run but about 40 yards. Dang. Um, <laughs> yeah, awesome. man. I, I, you, know, I, you know, I was shooting – I killed the deer with the, with the muzzleloader, so black powder. And when I shot the deer – the way, the way the wind was blowing, he ran right behind the smoke the whole way. So I never seen where the deer went. You know, I heard some crashing and stuff, and I was like, well, you know, we're in the mountains. There's, he's probably just running through the woods, breaking limbs there left and right. You know, I don't know if I got him or not. But the deer was what my grandpa used to always say. He was running dead. He knew, you know, he was he didn't have a shot. You know, I, I put it right on him and took my time, and there it was. So... Just real, real, like I say, real fortunate to have a shot at a deer of that magnitude up there. Yeah, so, uh, Julian, go over, like, kind of the rec- recovery, because I'm always interested hearing guys talk about the recovery stories. So, you don't really know what kind of quality the deer is. You just know he's a good deer. Your your uh, cousin or your buddy calls you and everything, and, you know, you, you get down. And, by the way, this is an afternoon hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's afternoon hunt. You get down. I guess you give him some time. Kind of like what's going through your head? Did y'all find blood? And kind of what was the, uh, you know, what what it take to uh, you know recover that deer? And what was your emotions? Well, we got down. You know, it was pitch dark up there. They by the time they had got to me, it was because I just stayed in the tree until they got there. Um, I didn't really want to come down because you know, I didn't know where the deer had went. I didn't know how close he was. You know, I just got to all those thoughts, you know, you get to where don't bump the deer, you know, take your time. Don't don't rush into things. If you know you made a good shot, you made a good shot. You know, we, we have to take our time now and then let the deer expire. Because that's the last thing I want to do is jump him. 
you know, so we got, I got down, got packed up and such. Um, they got there and we looked and I'm, I'm standing in where I thought the deer was standing. I'm like, you know, there's no blood. I didn't see, I seen one little track where the deer ran. And, you know, I turned left about two steps and it was just, you know, it was like, all right, he's, you know, he ain't making it far. It was just, I've never seen so much. I've never seen a deer bleed as much um, with a muzzleloader. I've seen a bunch of people shoot them. You know, a lot of people shoot them. There's no blood hardly. This deer bled like a bow shot. I mean, it was a walking blood trail right to him. And, you know, I I shed some tears, man. That was That's the first deer, first buck deer that I've seen on that mountain since I was a kid. I've never seen a buck on the mountain up there on that public land till I put my hands on that deer I killed. Um, and that's, you know, it, it was probably uh, some people have come in and said I maybe need to change the way I hunt and or change the spot that I hunt, which that's true. Yes. And that's what the podcast helped me is to go find different spots or, you know, don't hunt the same spot all the time. If you're not, if you're not confident in that spot, do not even climb a tree, go find the sign, you know, go find something that makes you feel worthy of hunting that spot. And, uh, but yes, I, uh, we, me and my cousin, we shed some tears together there. That was the first buck or first harvest together that we've had up there. Um, and, you know, I just, I didn't do nothing. I just couldn't thank anybody, but, you know, God, my grandpa, I know my grandpa had a, a hand in, in sending that deer by me. I know he did. I don't, I mean, this is without a question. And, uh, that was, it was a very surreal moment for me. I guess you could say, I don't think I'll ever have another one like that in my hunting career. And you talk about this, an awesome experience, you know, like you said, it's the, the first, you know, buck. Well, the first, you said that's the first book you've actually personally seen on the mountain, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, to be able to make that happen, I mean, that's just, that's just so special. But hopefully, again, you know, just from that whole experience, you can kind of take a lot out of that and apply that going forward, you know, hopefully with your next, you know, state tag. Because North Carolina is a two-buck state, correct? Yes, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm actually tagged out. I, I killed uh, one last Sunday. Well, dude, look at you, man. Hey, killer. Yeah. Hold on. He was now. probably. I think. I think this deer was five or six as well. I've been. I killed him behind my house in some on some private land, and he was. He gave me the slip. So I. I. I mean, those tactics work on private land as well. You know, people think it's just it might not just be public land, but hunting is hunting, and you got it. You know, you got to adapt to your situations, and it was a totally different situation than the mountain deer, obviously. But. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, I was very fortunate this year. So maybe we can keep the ball rolling here in Kentucky, but yeah, dude, it's not looking too good. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, well, we got you. Uh, you're calling you from uh, your Kentucky camp, man. Hopefully, you can make it happen before you head home. Um, but that's exciting. Well, uh, to kind of wrap us up, let me ask Julian. You know, for if there's a new, say there's a new guy listening to the show. You know, maybe this is like this. You know, this he's only listened to a few episodes of the podcast. What advice would you give them? Because there's so much. You know, we have so many guys on the show that have so many different you know ideas on how they kill a big deer. What advice would you give to somebody listening right now to, you know, take stuff from specific episodes and apply it to where they're hunting and kind of pick and choose exactly what would work best for them and run with it? I would say don't get overwhelmed with the amount of or the magnitude of, of um, you know, intelligence that, intelligence that the guys have that you guys talk to. Like, because, I mean, to be honest with you, it'll blow you away of how smart a man is you know and some of these older guys has hunted so long and you know i was like when i first started hearing this stuff you know about the bump and dump you know stuff like that i was like what you know what what is that you know how do you even how do you even understand or how do you even go about teaching yourself to do something like that 
just take it in little bits, you know, don't try to do it all overnight, you know, just, just take it a little, one stride at a time, one step at a time. And then there's really nothing else that I got is like, just don't get overwhelmed and trust yourself. Like, you know, trust the process. Awesome, Julian. Well, man, we appreciate you coming on for this week's episode. Uh, as a shout out for everybody else, if you've enjoyed this uh, episode of this uh, listener success story, uh, please leave us a review, kind of what you liked hearing from Julian and everybody else. But uh, again, if anyone's out there that's taking tactics from the show or tips from the show from different guests and applying it to where they're hunting and killing bucks, let us know. Shoot us a message so we can maybe get you on for one of our other listener success stories. We've got a ton of them that have come in in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, actually, enough for us to get to the end of the year, so we're going to have to start dropping a bunch of them every single week. But, Julian, man, I'm just so glad, dude, you were able to go out there and you know, apply different things that you've kind of heard and learned on the show, but really go out there and kind of make your own luck and just make it happen, dude. It's exciting to see guys like yourself going out there and having, you know, possibly one of their best seasons ever. Uh, and I'm glad that, you know, hopefully the show was a little bit a part of that. But, uh, Julian, good luck for you the rest of your season and good luck in Kentucky where you're at right now. I appreciate you guys having me on and I appreciate the uh, the uh, little boost of effort and I can get, you know, somebody else is cheering me on when it's always easier to go out a little further back in there and try to find trying to find the big boys bedroom so we're gonna do what we can and like i said it was it was a pleasure talking to you guys and uh i appreciate what you're doing for everybody you know i don't know if other people tell you or not but you know it, it's appreciative on my end so keep doing what you're doing Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.